This is episode 21 of the Rising Man podcast with Jamie Azuma. Much love to the papas. Welcome back, risers, and happy Father's Day to all the papa bears out there. I'm your host and creator of this show, Jetty Azuma, and I'm so excited to be presenting this episode on Father's Day celebrating Father's Month in the month of June, and we're topping it off the day of celebrating all the fathers across the world with a very special interview. When I first dreamt up this podcast, I had the vision of interviewing my dad for Father's Day, and I never thought it would have happened because my dad's not the type to just jump in and do an interview and bare his soul to the world, but nonetheless, I succeeded, and so I'm really excited to share that with all of you out there today especially because my dad, my father, is one of the most extraordinary men I know and a beautiful example of fatherhood, of being a husband, a provider, and all of the things that I value in a man. So before we get into that, let me just mention really quickly, if you're not already a part of the Rising Man Facebook group, go ahead and join right now, facebook.com slash groups slash the rising man. If you're already a part of the group, make sure you invite a brother. We're looking to grow this thing. I I made a declaration last time that we want to get 3,000 people by the end of the year in the Rising Man Facebook group. So let's make it happen, you guys. Let's do this. And if you're listening to this podcast and the words that you're hearing, the stories that you're hearing from these other men start to resonate with and you start to feel like, wow, there's so much that I haven't been seeing in my own life. And I want to break through it. I just don't know how. I don't know what to do next. I don't know what is the next step I need to take to break through my limitations. I want you guys to keep reaching out to me. I've had some fantastic conversations just this week alone with men all over the world who have been reaching out to me. Hit me up on Facebook Messenger, sending me emails at jettyazuma at gmail.com. Loving where you guys are coming from and really appreciating that some of you guys are stepping forward for the very first time, asking for support sharing your story, saying what is true for you on a deep, visceral level. That is huge, you guys. That's part of the vision that I had when I started this podcast and started this community. So if you're one of those guys who's sitting on the edge and you really feel like you're ready to take the next step, hit me up, Facebook Messenger or email. All right, without further ado, Jamie Azuma is my dad. He was born and raised in Northern New Jersey, where I'm from. It's kind of my dirty little secret. Uh, He's a businessman. He's a father to my two brothers and I. And he has modeled for me what it means to be a provider, a protector, and a leader of our family. This was a really special conversation for me, you guys. It's a little bit different than some of the interviews that I've done before, mostly because of the personal nature of the interview. It was really great to share with my dad this space and also hear from him uh, the story of my grandfather who passed away when I was five and uh, all of the great values that my dad inherited from him and passed on to myself and my brothers, as well as some of the other challenges that we faced as a family, particularly through the eyes of my father when my mom came down with breast cancer when I was very young. My brother was very young as well. And so it's just a really great conversation about one man's story of the things that he was able to overcome for the sake of his family. And one of my favorite things about my dad is that he's so humble 
and to get him to speak about himself for an hour was definitely a challenge, but he really brought home the values that he embodies the most that really represent who he is. Uh, speaking about respect, treating people well, taking care of your family first, and uh, being a provider for not just your family, but also your community, and also to be forgiving to be forgiving of people, to give them another chance. Really just a fantastic man, one of the best men I know, but I'll let you figure that out for yourself. Without further ado, Jamie Azuma. James Azuma, AKA dad, AKA my father. <laughs> Great to have you on the Rising Man podcast. Thanks for being here with me today, dad. Yeah. Before we even start, I just want everybody to know how much this means to me to have an opportunity to interview and ask some questions of my dad and ask, have his perspective on fatherhood as we celebrate Father's Month here in June and also get some insight as to some of the things that I wasn't aware of when I was a kid that were going on behind the scenes while he was busy being a husband and a father and a provider for his family. So uh, really excited to jump in here, dad. Let me ask you this first question that I ask every guest I have on the show. And that is, in your opinion, what is the difference between a boy and a man? Hmm, not much. <laughs> I don't think the boy ever leaves the man. I hope it doesn't, because I think that boy has a certain innocence about them that I think that uh, you should take the manhood. And I think that there are some principles that you develop as a boy that you take into manhood. I think, you know, as you get into the corporate world and things like that, kind of take some of the innocence away. And so I hope that you never lose that innocence and that respect for people that you, you don't have the bad habit when you're a boy, but you develop them as a man. So I like to think that even though from a physical perspective, an age perspective, you may be a man or think you're a man, I think that there are certain things you learn as a boy that you should always try to and, and I agree. And that's absolutely that's that's a very consistent answer that we've been getting is that there is a part of the boy that lives inside of every man. And uh, a lot of times we notice that there's boys who are trying to appear as men because that's what we think we're supposed to do when really we're not quite embodying all of those other elements of, of what of who men get to be out in the world. So I'd love to hear your perspective on this, since I know you're, you live in the corporate world. You've been a businessman for your entire adult life. What do you see in the business world when it comes to boys and, and men or men who are showing up as adults in the world, but still exhibiting some boyish tendencies or behaviors? Well, I think that uh, some of the boyish behaviors are not good behaviors too, right? Mm -hmm. And I see that uh, men or grownups call them still have bad boy behaviors. And it's interesting because I see that more and more from a respect perspective in these younger people coming up. I, I see that, uh, you know, and maybe it's just the culture and maybe it's just that maybe the way they were brought up is that, you know, they had a different age group that were their parents, right? It's almost like um, difference between when you were in soccer, the junior soccer, the traveling soccer program, and the baseball programs, right? We got to be friends with the Valentis and the Rodeos and all of those folks, and they're just very good people. When it came to Derek's age group, completely different set of parents. Crazy, crazy. I mean, sure, there are some fights in the stands 
when you're on the team, but the age difference between where we were with you when you were in sports and then Derek, he was dramatic. I mean, there's only, what, six years that separate the two of you, but I found that it's a completely different set of parents. Mm -hmm. was, you know, I, I think that there was a, a lack of respect that I saw at you know, many different levels, and, and, and I see that in the corporate world as well. You know, it, it's just, I think the older age groups, and I'll use as an example, I never called a friend father by their person ever. I would always be Mr. So-and-so. And even though they would say, oh, no, no, call me John, I would never call them John. I couldn't. You know, it was just like right. um, a respectful thing that I had for that age group. And I don't see that anymore. Right. But that's OK. I mean, I've, I've adapted to that. It doesn't bother me when people call me by my first name, even though whatever age they are. Right. But it's that age gap that I just saw was very noticeable. And, you know, I just bring up the soccer and the baseball thing as an example, because I used to go to your mom and say, these parents are crazy, right? <laughs> crazy. They pick fights with other parents. They pick fights with the, with the referees. And I said, you yeah, there's no reason to do that. But, you know, that's something that they were taught when they were growing up. And it's evolved over time. And I don't know if it's the New York area, the cultural thing. I mean, you know, Life is very tough these days. We're too connected. The, you know, the New York area is rush, rush, rush. It was interesting. I was at the uh, the gym the other day, and uh, you know, the Polish guy came up to me and he, was, he asked me my background, and I told him I was third generation Japanese, and you know, I grew up in the New Jersey area. He says, you know, the Japanese and the Polish, I mean, they always have a very respect for everybody, right? They're very respectful. I say, oh, it was nice. I was carrying up a conversation with him and. That's what he brought that up. So maybe it's a bit of a cultural thing. And I told him, I said, well, it may be a cultural thing, but I also live in New York. And you also kind of get an attitude when you're in the <laughs> New York area. So it could be cultural. It could be geographic. It could be age. Right. Yeah. And those are a lot of different factors that when, when you ask me the question of, you know, what's it like in the corporate world? I guess it really depends on those three things. Yeah. And that's and that's a really good point that you bring up there is that there are so many different influences that affect who we become as professionals, as parents, as spouses. And so that's actually a really great segue. I'd love to hear from you a little bit about what you learned from your father, because because uh, grandpa was the, the first memory I have of a man that's really stuck with me besides you is yeah. even though he passed away when I was five, I spent I got to spend so much time with him. And I still feel connected to so many of those memories. In fact, his gregariousness and his ability to connect with people and to be of service in his life, I feel really translated into me. And maybe it was because I was at such a young and impressionable age. And at that time, you guys were getting a lot of childcare help from grandma and grandpa on the weekends. Uh, but I also have a feeling that a lot of that was just values that he held his whole life. So can you tell me a little bit about what you what you got from grandpa just by observing him as a dad? I think you know his background. And, you know, he's one of the kindest people I've ever met. He respected everybody. I think that he always gave everybody a fair shake. Even though they maybe did something or treated him badly in what I would see, he was a very forgiving person. So a little background on your grandpa. Um, you probably know this already, but he was adopted by my grandfather. 
my grandmother was married and she brought your father or my my dad your grandfather you know to the states she divorced that person and which was you know at that time was really kind of unheard of right but he was a very abusive person my understanding and then she found very loving Fred Azuma which is the grandfather that I've always and you know, so I think a lot of the traits that he developed were really from them. We do know that they were sent off to the camp during the uh, World War II, and you know, he joined the army at that time. He was a sergeant, he was an interrogator of them, and even through all of that, and you know, the struggles that government imposed on the, the Japanese citizens. He never brought that up. He never talked about it. I never really brought it up because I guess I was kind of young and didn't really think about it that much. Now, a lot of these stories came up when we were much older. Quite frankly, when I was growing up, I didn't even know that my grandfather that I knew was not my biological grandfather. <laughs> never knew that. So a lot of these things he kept kind of private. But if you asked him, he would always share that. So there's a video that Uncle Glenn recorded with my grandmother and my dad and they kind of went through these different stories and that's when a lot of this came to light and I was like wow that's to go through all of that and still maintain that humble nice person <laughs> it wasn't a veneer it was down deep that you know his kindness was from the heart it wasn't something that he just displayed for people to see it was really down deep he was a single child and your grandmother, there are a lot of issues with her side of the family. And he always was there to help out. You know, there are some things that happen with some of my aunts and uncles that he would just, whatever he was doing, he would just drop it and go off and help, right? So mm. that's what I remember growing up you know, with him. He was always kind of like the stable rock that when things got a little crazy, he got involved, calmed things down, and then figured out how to fix it. So yeah. That's well, what I know. the one thing that always stands out in grandpa's story for me is what you what you shared, how he and and great grandma were put in the Japanese internment camps during World War Two. And that somehow he found it within himself to volunteer for the United States Army as an interrogator and go and serve his, the, the United States, who had literally just put him in a in a labor camp. I don't know how many years before, but. It, 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 I think about that and it kind of blows my mind a little bit. Have you ever given any thought to that or you, do you just know that that's the man that he was and understand that? Well, I mean, they had a business, they had a store and they lost all of that. Um, they took it away. They had to start from scratch again. So, you know, there are a lot of stories where people were very bitter about it and they never got over it. That wasn't him. So I guess there's a certain strength that you have to have in yourself and confidence in yourself that you kind of put the bitterness aside and move forward or it'll kill you, which in a lot of cases it did. Yeah. And I think that's, that's just a great life lesson overall is how many of us hold on to grudges or events that occurred in our lives and, and can't let go of them to simply move forward. I think that that's what's connected to so many depressive and anxiety disorders that, that plague people these days. Um, so I, I, I'm glad that that came to the surface because that's a good reminder for everybody. Let's let's transition into when when Grandpa passed. So this is this is back in 1993. I was five years old. I remember that Mom was pregnant with Derek, who's my younger brother. And I remember I remember from my perspective, I, I, I had no idea what was going on. All I was told was that Grandpa ha had had an accident and that he was in the hospital. And I remember. 
writing a note to him to get better and that you brought it to the hospital and told me that you put it under his pillow. And that that's about all I remember from my perspective before he actually passed and then seeing him, seeing the casket at his funeral. So just shed some light on what was, what was going through your mind, you know, from the moment you got the call about grandpa having, cause he had an aneurysm that burst a, a blood vessel in his brain yeah. and, and how you handled that process as a, you know, 30, how old were you? Like almost 40 year old man. Well, it was the biggest loss I've ever had. When you get to my age now, there are a lot of people that die. So it, it, you never, maybe you do. Maybe you become a little desensitized as you get older because it, you know, it, it's happening so often. But back then, it was few and far between and it never really hit home. You know, I've had some friends from high school that passed away very early. You know, one was, they're both 21, so that's very young. So that was probably the first death hitting home. But it wasn't, it was a friend. They were friends, but it wasn't my family, right? So it wasn't something that was, they were close. You know, I mourn, but never hit you like if your parent died or God forbid, you know, uh, a child passes away. I think it's a completely different thing. And it, it was tough. I mean, you were mourning and I didn't quite know how to comfort you and also try to take care of the arrangements. He was in a coma for, because he died on the 29th. Your grandmother's birthday was on the 19th. She was retiring that year and they were going to travel around the world. So all those thoughts kind of went through thing. You know, that sucks, right? But when he was in the coma, it was inevitable that he was never going to be the way he was. And that was not, even if he came out of it, he wouldn't want to be the way he would have put him in. So I made the arrangements at the uh, funeral home and they were going to turn the machines off. And thank God he passed before we had to make that decision. That would have been uh, really rough. So did the arrangements. We had the repass over our house and a lot of my friends came over and I got totally drunk. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it was good to be surrounded by friends. When you have something like that happen, you need to get close to people that would make you laugh, that can put you in a different space. You know, I mean, I'm still not over it. You know, I go to church and I open up the uh, hymnal and I see his name and, you know, it breaks me up. So it never uh, stops. Yeah. It's, it's the same for me too. I mean, just, I, I didn't, I haven't relived any of those moments from when, when grandpa passed away until speaking about it with you here. Um, or, or I have, but I don't do it very often. And I, I can, I, I can still feel that, you know, I could feel the emotion coming up for me too. And so, you know, who I saw you become in those moments was the, the patriarch of the family, you know, cause at that time, um, my un- uncle Bob was living pretty nearby from what I remember, but, uh, uncle Don wasn't around and uncle Glenn was in Chicago and you stepped in to be the one who took care of grandma. And, and, and from my perspective, I know you all did, you know, all, all of the brothers did, but, and, and you've always been that guy. I never, I never understood it when I was a kid. And I remember having resistance going over to grandma's house when I just wanted to play with my friends and you would bring me over there and you'd be like, no, we got to help grandma change the light bulb. And I would be like, why can't she change the light bulb herself? <laughs> you know, like, like we do that stuff. Why can't she do it? Um, and I get that there was more to it than that. Uh, so I, I'm appreciating that in you right now. And also just having the opportunity to review your, your, experience of, of grandpa. And I, I feel like you're describing yourself in a lot of respects because you've always been a rock for our family. You've always been the guy who shows up all the time. You haven't been perfect <laughs> by any means. None of us are, 
but you, you've always you've always been there for your family. If there's if there's one thing that you've done in your life, you've you've owned that. So hearing you talk about grandpa, I'm like, oh, this that this was just you carrying on that legacy, and it and it's beautiful. It's really it's really a, a pleasant thing to watch. And having having become a father myself now, uh, I see myself wanting to be everything that that you and grandpa were. So well, I yeah. I, I think that you instill a lot of family values in all of us and i think that you know that's the reason why i'm very close to bob and don and glenn is because he and grandma would want it that way and i really don't want to move out of the area i always want to kind of have some roots here because my family's here right and you know with you know the holidays i mean some point in time, you know, grandma's not going to be around. And you know, I still want the brothers to get together, right? Mm-hmm. And I want our grandkids to know my brother's grandchildren and their children, right? And I want you to know Pierce and Paige. And, you know, more importantly, I really like the fact that you, Derek, and Ricky communicate. And if you didn't, I would probably say so, right? <laughs> Yeah, Because that's a very important. The family kind of stick together, even though we're geographically dispersed, stay in communication. I'm kind of at fault on that too, but I think that we should be doing that on, you know, a regular basis, right? It shouldn't be forced. It should be something that we want to do, right? And, you know, I, I know some families, uh, they don't want to do that, right? <laughs> and yeah. I'm like, really? And, and you know, sometimes it's, a, it, it's something that happened that people just can't forgive i can forgive i won't forget but i can forget and uh, i can forgive somebody i won't forget what they did <laughs> but i won't let that i won't let, let that dictate how i move on with my life yeah and that's and that's such a such an important value too is uh something that i get to to lean into a little bit more myself i, I think that uh in, in my life and in my experience there have been places where i've held grudges and i didn't even know i was i was i would tell myself i'm over that oh yeah no problem we're good and then realize that actually I'm, I'm still harboring, holding a list on somebody. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that's that's a good one, man. Uh, before we shift into the next question I have for you, do you have any uh, any quick stories, funny stories, happy stories, something you want to share about grandpa and that stands out in your memory? <laughs> I, I think it's something that sticks out in Richie's memory. <laughs> <laughs> he brought it up probably last year when we were talking and he says, yeah, I was picking my nose and grandpa goes, Hey Rich, pick me a winner. <laughs> you know how rich he is, how sensitive he is. And at that time, yeah. been like, I don't know, seven or eight years old. Uh-huh. He, and that stick that stuck with him. And I think it's <laughs> because my father would always come up with little things like that, little jabs. And he always did it. He didn't do it to be um, insulting or critical. He did it to be funny. Right. Yeah. And I thought it was funny because Richie was always such a serious kid that he took <laughs> it the wrong way. <laughs> I right. probably never knew that he took it the wrong way. And it would he would always remember that. But when Richie told me that, I just cracked up because it was, you know, well, you know, <laughs> grandma, she's got a funny sense of humor. He just kind of tells you the way it is. And yeah. <laughs> Well, you definitely have carried on that gene, my friend. I, I've been, <laughs> that's one of the greatest things I appreciate about you too, man, is, is that you love to crack jokes and poke fun. I mean, you're probably where the perfect, um, I don't know if you consider yourself or call yourself a stepdad, but father 
figure to Richie because uh, <laughs> as serious as he was as a kid, you, you, you interject a lot of humor <laughs> into our lives all the time. Uh, plenty of stories to share about that. But, you know, before we go into how you how you raised Derek and Richie and I um, as your sons, you know, the next the other biggest challenge that I really wanted to ask you about was, you know, four years after grandpa passed away, we got the news that that mom had cancer. And mm-hmm. here I am. I'm I, from what I remember, I was about nine years old. And I think Derek was just three. I think we actually celebrated his third birthday while she was in the hospital. I can I have memories of like vague memories of that. And I just wanted to hear you talk a little bit about what, what was going through your mind. You know, here's here's your wife, the mother of your children coming down with something that at, at that time was still we didn't know a lot about cancer or what that meant. So, so how did how did that what was showing up for you when you first got the news and, and how did you continue to be the rock that you were at that time? Well, it was some, something so new that knew nothing about breast cancer. Zero, zero. Um, mom noticed the lump. We went to Inglewood Hospital and they did a, uh, a biopsy right there. And they said, well, you, know, you better get this checked out, get scans and mammograms or whatever to see. And they found the calcification and that's when they labeled it, I think, stage three, which, you know, it's not good, right? Mm-hmm. And so we went, the internet was just coming out. I mean, you know, it was out, but you don't have the kinds of access to information like we have today. Mm-hmm. Um, did a lot of educating myself as to what it is, what stage three means, from an operation through the oncologist and chemotherapy and all that kind of stuff. It was one of those things where I just need to kind of keep my shit together, right? Mm-hmm. Because uh, you, know, you were young. You know, you were nine. Derek was still sleeping in the office that I have here, I think. Oh, no, no. Derek, yeah, Derek was in that little office. So, you know, what do we do? I mean, it's just a matter of, uh, you know, we saw a zillion doctors. You know, we saw the, you know, we have to do the surgeons first. We, you know, went everywhere. New York, to Pennsylvania, we went to Jersey Hospital. Our first doctor, believe it or not, was her surgeon. We saw what's a guy that uh, looked at the mom when she just had a gallbladder done. Oh, wow. This thing was, well, we'll go in, we'll try to make it a lump after me. And then if we determine that it's it's further than that, we'll have to remove the breast. I'm like, thank you, bye. I said, mm-hmm. we are not putting you on a table without you knowing exactly what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So we went ahead and saw a bunch of different surgeons, saw a bunch of different oncologists, had them look at the uh, the scans and so forth. And you know, that you know, they all recommended you know, having the step in because it was the uh, in the lymph nodes and things like that, where the calcifications were, we didn't know if they were in the lymph nodes until after. So it was going through that process. Uh, you know, we picked a, a good surgeon. The guy was a complete asshole, but he was a really good surgeon. So we stuck with him. He was out of So here I am. I think I had to take you into the city with me because I think grandma was watching. Derek. And so you were coming around with me, and I think you came in with me that day in New York uh, to see mom. But the surgeon came in when I wasn't even there, told her that uh, she had stage three cancer. So there lies the next phase with the process of, okay, what kind of treatment do you do for this? It's aggressive, and percentage of mortality was high for stage three with the standard treatments of chemo. So we said, okay, what other things can we do? So we went through a bunch of different oncologists and fortunately we found a, a guy that had just left Sloan Kettering to start the oncology department over at Hackensack. 
and he met with him. He said uh, he would put your mom on this uh, stem cell transplant um, trial. And so that gives you the best chance. And so uh, that was really, really tough on him. I mean, we went through episodes where he was so sick, but she went through it. You know, she persevered. I don't know if you know the process of stem cell transplant, what they do, but you went through the process of them taking stem cells out, harvesting them, and then they zapped her with you know, the heaviest dose of chemo that you could ever do, wipe out every cell in your body. And then you're susceptible to uh, a lot of infections and things. And the, uh, so he actually had to put her up in a hotel that was quarantined off uh, for other patients too. So we had to have grandma, grandpa, well, grandma, because grandpa wasn't around, take care of you guys, you know, when we were away doing that stuff. But it, it was just, uh, it was, it was very hard. It's a very hard process. You know, on on my side of things, I, I didn't know anything that was like a lot of the stuff you're sharing with me is all I'm hearing for the first time. And, you know, maybe I'll start with my experience of you was that you were you just took care of everything. I mean, even thinking back on it, being a bit older and, and having a little bit more wisdom about the world and the way things work. It's hard for me to gather just how you put it all together, because I still remember you showing up to take care of, of Derek and I while mom was in the hospital for lengths of time and still showing up to all of my baseball, soccer, football games and, and trying to maintain a level of normalcy while all of the craziness was going on in the background. So what, what in you allowed you to do that? Like what was, what was the, the voice or the thing that you kept telling yourself to, to keep going? Cause that's, that's heavy stuff, man. I don't think you have a choice. You don't have a choice, right? I mean, there is no other choice. You just got to figure it out, right? I mean, dude, you can run away and be an asshole, <laughs> right? <laughs> or you can handle it, right? You know, step up and just make it happen. Don't don't get all crazy. Just be methodical, be logical, and just get it done, right? It, 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 there's no, not like you got to pull something from within. It's kind of like deal with, deal with it a day at a time. You get too far ahead of yourself, you start worrying about it. Okay not worth worrying about, right? Because you don't know, right? So why worry about something that you have no idea about? Because all you're going to do is worry the other people around. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's, you know, that's, that's that quality. That's that, you know, rock, the, the lighthouse in the storm quality that I've admired about you my whole life. And it's, it's good to, to have a little more context behind just how, how committed you were and how committed you have continued to be. You know, I, the more I learn about what was going on when I was a kid, <laughs> the more I respect both you and mom, um, which maybe that's a good segue into, into some lighter stuff. I, I'd love for you to just share a little bit about what it was like to raise my brothers and I, uh, specifically as teenagers, because I feel like that was, you know, one of the trickier times or adolescents, whatever you want to talk about. Um, but just what, what was it like to raise boys in the process of them becoming men? And what did you learn about that process along the way? Uh, I think it's <laughs> taking care of boys and it is girls. Um, although probably would have been neat to have a daughter. Probably wouldn't, wouldn't have been that good for your mom because probably would have had to be wrapped around her finger. <laughs> boys, I can be a little bit more disciplinarian. And so I think it was easier raising boys than probably would have been girls. And at the time, you know, I, I, I guess the, uh, the poster child for, <laughs> for raising daughters. I looked at you know, Jennifer and Julian, I said, oh my God, no way. You know? 
not deal with that. That would be, and they were going through some really hard times too. So I mean, it, it's not any of their fault. I just said, oh my god, I would just that would be that would be hard. You know, Richie was seven when I first met him. I guess I, I, I got to hand it to him. You know, that was a, a hard transition for him too. Uh, I never never forced father figure on, but I did instill some discipline. Right, that wasn't going out the window. Mm-hmm. Um, he was uh, he wasn't into sports, although he did join the football team in his senior year, which blew my mind. So he, you know, he was you know off doing a lot of different other things. Right, it's kind of funny. you know Rocky, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, a little fun story is that uh, you know, when he was hanging out with Rocky, Rocky had all this bad reputation. Uh, your mom went to I guess some. Maybe your brothers just they found out. Oh yeah, he's bad apple. Yeah, we're going blah blah blah. And I don't know this kid for anything. You know, I haven't even I don't even know what he knew what he looked like. So one night Richie was out. Mom goes, "Go find Richie. I think he's with Rock." What am I doing? Take him home. So I like go down to the boulevard in the car, and there I see them both walking along the boulevard. Pull over. Tell him to come over, and I go, "You know, hey Rich, we need to get home." And I go, uh, hi, I'm, and I introduce myself to Rocky. I said, oh, hi, Mr. Zuma. And I'm like, you know what? I don't have a bad first impression of this kid. So I said, I tell you what, get in the car. I think you both home, right? Because you better get home anyway. And I, you know, I came back and I told your mom, I, said, I think this kid Rocky is a, a really, really nice kid. <laughs> I think you really need to give him a, you know, benefit of the doubt, right? And it ended up that he was. He's a really good guy. But I think you know, maybe he did some stupid things in the past. Maybe he, he had a reputation. But you know, one of the you know, first stories of, you know, he, Richard proved me wrong, right? I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like, you know, Rocky ended up being one of his best friends, although that, you know, it's unfortunate. I think, uh, you know, things went sideways with that. You know, with you, I think that uh, it was always the Woodridge group, right? I mean, that was easy. You know, and those people help, you know, during the uh, your mom's cancer, like, you know, unbelievable, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, so that's friendship that, another reason why I would like to stay in it, right? Just, just but don't find friends like that. You, you don't. You don't find them and you know, it takes time to you know, get to know people, have them know you. And, you know, Derek, you're lucky he didn't come first. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, we might not be having this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have Richie for your brother. And that would be, or, or you would have Richie for your brother, and you wouldn't be around if you were the youngest. <laughs> but how he's grown over the past six years with Paisley and taking on that responsibility, it's just incredible. It's delightful to have him around. Yeah. And so, you know, not a lot of people get to raise three sons, especially in the situation you did. So, uh, w- without going too deeply into it, is there one crystal piece of advice that you would give to fathers raising sons out there that really helped you? Well, I always said, and it was to you, but I always said respect people. Um, one of the things is, I don't know, like, one of the things I, you know, I don't like people popping their own chest up. Somebody with a lot of character, somebody that does really nice things, but never has to tell everybody that, you know. Um, be helpful, I don't know, be, be like, your grandfather, right? I mean, be kind, be respectful, 
those are the things I hope that, that we're going to taught you guys varying degrees, but I think that, uh, you know, all you guys are respectful of other people. You have varying degrees of forgiveness. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That was a nice Uh, light jab, a little little body shot there. (laughs) I I don't say that to you. I think that, uh, you know, I know. Harry from Long Run, and you do do too, right? Mm, Uh, I know what they are. I would hope that you can get over them. If you do have it, keep it to yourself, right? There's no reason why you need to share any grudges with uh, other people because then they become, they get clouded first impression themselves. You don't have anything good to say, don't say it at all in a lot of cases. If it's somebody that's not family or, you know, somebody that's not close, I don't care if you call them an asshole because <laughs> they will never be part of my life. And <laughs> no, it's not, it's not. But, um, you know, if People that you need to deal with, yeah, family, friends, whatever. Uh, yeah, got to work it out. Keep it to yourself. Right on. Well, that, that's great, Dad. Uh, I, I appreciate you sharing um, the depth of the story of you know a little gives everybody a little bit of background on who I am, where I came from. Talking about Grandpa for a bit, and then you know your journey as a as a young man and a young father. Uh, I do something at the end of the show, especially because this is the special Father's Day episode, where I ask uh, lightning round questions. So. Real quick answers off the top of your head, as simple and as concise as you can be. Uh, you ready for them? Okay. <laughs> All right. What was one thing you were not prepared for when you became a dad? One thing I was, well, I was kind of prepared a little bit because I knew about Richie already. Uh, I guess if you're talking about yourself, it's slowing down. It's not about, it, it's about doing things for somebody else, right? I mean, you, your life changes. Your life changes completely. And... Now you gotta ratchet things down. You gotta sacrifice certain things in order to um, um, be a father. Mm. And what would you say is the the greatest lesson you've learned in fatherhood? Watching the kids grow, grow up, um, having fun, um, having girlfriends, and having wives, and having them having children. That's what makes us happy. Me happy. Cool. And one more. Uh, what is one thing you've learned in your life that you wish you knew back when you were 18? A good line to come on to a girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. If only Never they taught that in school. Time. They don't teach us the important things in school, right? <laughs> <laughs> There's one other thing I always, I, I always take away from your wisdom. It's actually something I've passed on to many other people in my life. I don't know if you know this, but the one thing I remember from you, the one lesson that I think is most important is always surround yourself with people who give you a good belly laugh. And you, you, mm-hmm. you alluded to it back when uh, you were talking about grandpa and a little bit when you're talking about mom being sick, but that ability to have people around you who keep you laughing. I, I've seen you laugh my whole life through grandpa passing away, through mom being really sick, through all types of other family challenges that we've had along the way. I've seen you laugh and I've seen you bring laughter to the table. And uh, I'm really grateful for that, man, because humor has been one of the greatest values that I've learned in my adult life. I've been a very serious guy and I've had to learn how to be funny and humorous and be light. So um, to wrap this up, I just want to let everybody know who's listening and also let you know specifically how much I admire you as a man, as a father, as a husband, especially as a husband. Uh, You have been a tremendous man. And I think that you you go beneath the radar a lot because that's the kind of guy you are. But 
I love you and I appreciate everything that you've done for me and my brothers and my mom and our whole family. And uh, I couldn't think of a better man to honor on Father's Day than you. So thanks for being here, Dad. (laughs) Thank you. Love Love you too. Like I said at the top of the episode, this was a very special interview for me. It's a dream come true to be able to interview my dad and ask him these types of questions and start to take it to a deeper depth with him. Uh, The father-son dynamic is so, 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 so tricky in the world. And fortunately, my dad and I have always uh, had a relationship really rooted in love and respect. And we've definitely had our challenging times. We didn't get into too many of the stories of how my dad and I butted up against each other. Uh, but it's it's a very natural thing to occur. And grateful to say that you know my dad and I have a wonderful relationship and that I am living as a husband and a father with so many of the values that my father and my grandfather instilled in me. So much love to you, dad. It was, it was great to be on here with you. If you are listening to this podcast and you know that you're capable of more than you're getting out of life, if the challenges in your life that you have right now are seemingly insurmountable and you just don't know how to overcome them, my request to you is to reach out directly to me right now. Don't wait. Send me a message on Facebook via email at jettyazuma at gmail.com. Whatever the medium you choose, I just want to hear from you because the first step is getting out of your own head and sharing the story and the beliefs that you have going on in your head with another person. And I'm more than happy to be that for all of you guys out there. And beyond that, I want to help you guys figure out what the next step is so that you can break through whatever boundaries are keeping you from being the man that you're meant to be. Especially if you're a father out there in the spirit of Father's Day, if you're a father out there and you're struggling with fatherhood or some specific element of being a father and showing up as a dad, let me know because you know, I've only been a dad for two and a half years, but I feel like I've already learned quite a bit and I can always, 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 always relate to a man who is in that particular space, being a father, providing for your family, for your partner, if you have one, for your children, whatever the case may be. So reach out. Happy to talk to anybody that shoots me a message. While you are at it, check out the show notes for links and resources at the rising man podcast. Dot com. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to it so you get the episodes as soon as they drop like it's hot. Leave a review, please, if you haven't already. And if you do, snap a screenshot for me, tag it up, send it over to the Rising Man Podcast at gmail.com. I am fixing to launch this very special event that I have been promoting for almost a month now. Uh, it's just about there. And I'm compiling a list of people who have really been supporting the podcast, commenting on every episode, sending me direct messages, sharing it up, tagging guys, inviting new brothers into the Rising Man Facebook group group you guys have a very special treat coming so the rest of you if you haven't been supporting like that please do it was really what helps to spread the message and spread the word to other men out there because that's the mission we want to reach men all over the planet all cultures all backgrounds all ages all beliefs blah 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 everything we want to hit every man before this is all said and done (laughs) right and to just to mention if you haven't already joined the rising man facebook community facebook.com slash groups slash the rising man this is where the conversations 
from these episodes are continuing. Men are starting to make declarations about the commitments that they want to have in their lives, having other men pledge to be accountability partners and to hold them accountable to their word. And we're really starting to build a community in the Facebook group. So if you're not already a part of that, or if you have some brothers who you think would really benefit from that space, please send them an invitation right now. And reach out to us on Instagram at the Rising Man Pod and at Jetty Azuma. That's my personal Instagram account. This is where you can catch all the cool little social media posts that we put up to promote the episodes and to keep you tuned in to any other events and specials coming your way, Rising Man style. All right, last but not least, shout out to Sean Offenbach over at Infinite Melodics. That's at Infinite, M-E-L-O-D-I-X, Melodics. He's the man with the plan, the man behind the scenes, the wizard behind the curtain, the one making every single episode sound so good. Sean, thank you, my brother, for pumping him out this month in the month of June. Had you working overtime, brother. Appreciate you. Anybody out there who's looking to get your podcast needs, your musical needs, your sound audio engineering needs met, Sean's your guy. So make sure you hit him up at Infinite Melodics. And until next time, rise up and claim your destiny. 